This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to episode 161 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg and this episode is with Carly Findlay. Find her on Twitter at C-A-R-L-Y-F-I-N-D-L-A-Y. Uh, thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by the good people who've supported me at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Osher. For as little as five bucks a month, you can get access to exclusive episodes and a warm feeling in your tummy that you've helped the show come to air each week. That feeling in your tummy, unavailable for any other price. No, really, uh, I couldn't make this show this year without you. And because of you, I'm able to make the show podcast free to listen to. They are not free to make. And I simply uh, would not have been able to make the show or cannot make this show without the support of you and without the ability to pay my producer, Andy Ma to make sure I get the show out each and every week. So thank you. I look forward to having some e- even more exciting things for Patreon subscribers. I'm actually working on an app uh, which will give you access to the whole back catalogue and some extra special inc- exclusive things, which I'm hoping to get up uh, very, very soon. So stick around for that. Hopefully it's up before Christmas. Thanks to everybody that checked out the Paul Middleditch podcast last week. I've actually, I'm, I'm uploading right now, I'm uploading the full video that he and I shot that day. Um, my first video version of the podcast. So I'd love to know your thoughts. Send us your email at gmail.com. I put up a 10 minute version on Facebook the other day, but I'll, I'll tweet out a link to the, the long version later in the week. I hope your week was good. Thank you all very much for sending me your podsy pictures, hashtag P-O-D-S-I-E. As you heard on the Dr. Carl Kruzelnitsky podcast, which is, isn't exclusive if you are on the Patreon list, that uh, you would have heard he and I discussing the fact that I might have invented that word or be uh, credited with creating that word. So uh, thanks for the podsies. Um, It's basically using the phone that you're listening to me on right now. Just take a photo of wherever you're listening and just tag me. Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, email, send us your email at gmail.com. doesn't matter. Just it's a photo of where you're listening. And right now uh, I'd love to know. There's some fantastic ones. We got one from the Himalayas the other day. Uh, Somebody hiking up the second biggest mountain ever. Um, Got people doing dishes, people doing laundry, people walking dogs. And um, 
then the other day, uh, a lovely lady named Abby sent me one on the train uh, that she was listening to in Brisbane, sat next to uh, me. <laughs> Honestly, I got on the train, like I've, I, I was I was running um, to get into the train. I had to pull my bike and fold my bike up because I have a foldable bike, put it on the train. We got on and I sat down and the train took off a little quick and the Bike lost balance. I thought, oh shit! And it kind of knocked into this woman sitting next to me. I was like, oh, so sorry, sorry, sorry. Grabbed the bike and I kind of held onto it. And I went about my tweeting, whatever it is I do on the train. I was listening to the dollop, I think. And she got my attention, and then she said, "Look what I'm listening to." And she held up her phone, and there it was. She was listening to my show, uh, and we ended up having a great chat all the way home. And it was really, really great to uh, to meet someone who listens to the show because I really don't meet people in person that often who listen to the show because you listen from all over the world. But it was ace to have a chat. You can always email me, send Osher email at gmail.com. Uh, it's my last week of radio for the year, starting again next year in uh, late January, I think. But my last week of radio for the year. And I'm not going to lie, I'm looking forward to not having my alarm go off in the mornings. Anytime your alarm's got a three in it, uh, it's kind of, it hurts. I don't care how late, how early you go to bed. But when the first number in your alarm clock is a three, Oh, yeah. It's been a bit mental this year because of the way the survey breaks work with the school holidays work with the production schedule and that none of them sync up. So I haven't had too much of a break except for that one week that uh, Audrey took me to Fiji. But um, I'm looking forward to having the time away. It's been an incredibly good year. Everything I wanted to happen this year happened. Working every day with Stav and Abby is an absolute dream. They're the people I do the radio with up in Brisbane. You can listen to our podcast if you want to hear what the show sounds like. Uh, I work with them every day up at Hit 105 in Brisbane. And, look, Abby's just – she's just such an incredible radio brain, and I learn so much off of her. And Stav is just the fastest – the fastest to find the funny in any situation that I've ever worked with. I don't know how he does it. It's – incredible knowing that you can go into a rave on the radio knowing that Stav's got you and Stav can get you out. By saying to get you out, it's to notice if you listen to our show, we always end when there's a big laugh after Stav said something. That's what he does. And he does it better than anybody. Anybody. The guy's so fast, so smart. He's a lovely cat. He's a a really good guy. Um, I'm stoked that I get to work with these two people and it's, uh, you know, doing radio again on the full-time basis, which I haven't done for a little while, is is freaking great. And it's just made everything else that I do so much more fun, so much more awesome. Um, I have been paying the price of the workload, though, both at home and uh, health-wise. So I've been trying to meditate, um, trying to meditate again daily. That's hard work. But I'm getting there. I just have to remember that the meditation isn't about quietening the mind. The meditation is about uh, reminding the mind that you're meditating. And that's it. That's all you're doing. It's like training a puppy to sit down. The puppy doesn't want to sit. You just, you're getting better at saying the word sit and being cool at saying the word sit again. You're not getting better at making the puppy sit and stay. That's the best analogy I can give learning how to meditate. Um, Speaking of Stav and Abbey, I got really inspired by those two. They they get to work at f- 10 to 4 in the morning and they go for a run. They go run, half hour run before the show. And it made me remember that that's what I did. That was what I did before my hip got hurt. All I did was run. Um, and I loved it. I loved running. I loved just 
getting out the front door, running for five k's in one direction, turning around and running back. And I was at a point where I was fit enough that I could do, I could just drop 10 k's any day of the week, any time of the day. That's the kind of level of fitness that I had. And it was a beautiful thing to feel every day that you are that fit. If you wanted to, you could run 10 k. But it's been a long time since I've run. And I ran the other day. The first time I ran was um, I was over in Perth and I ran in one direction for 15 minutes and I turned around and ran back. I don't think I even ran 4Ks, if that. And at 15 minutes, I had to stop and have a pretty decent breather. And I turned around and ran back. But I've been putting a little bit more time on it every time. I ran for 40 minutes the next time I ran. Um, and then again, I ran on Friday, I ran for an hour, which was uh, great. I think I only ran 6Ks, to be honest, but I ran. And I, it's just important to remember that. I mean, the, tr the tough thing is, is that part of me wants to be sad that I'm not as fit as I used to be. And um, I can't just drop 10Ks anytime I want or work from 10 up to 20 within a couple of weeks to be able to get that distance up again which I was, I was able to, at any point, I was probably only two or three weeks away of prep away from a half marathon if I wanted to. Um, and it's hard to, you know, accept that I'm not that anymore. I'm not that fit anymore. But just remember what works and what works is tying up my shoelaces and getting out the front door and then just going. And just remember what used to work and what worked when I first started getting fit and just remember to do that again and go easy on myself and forgive myself for not being that. I'm, you know, I'm carrying an injury in one, one hip and all kinds of other things going wrong has happened when you get over 40. Um, and just to remember that and just to, I guess I should look at it like the meditation, you know, my, my goal isn't to run a marathon this time. The goal is just to get out the front door and go. And so however long I go or don't go, that's still a goal. It's still a gift. It's still an achievement. Yeah, it's just a question of starting small, I guess. Let me tell you about my guest, my guest who made me feel so thankful for so many things. She's a really interesting lady. I'm grateful that she got in touch with me. Carly Findlay uh, is an appearance activist, a blogger and a writer and she's from Melbourne, Australia. Carly was born with ichthyosis, two forms of the disease, in fact, Netherton syndrome and erythroderma. So basically what ichthyosis does is it causes her skin to renew itself at an incredibly fast rate. She talks about the timelines pretty early on in the show. Basically, her skin is constantly regenerating, exposing her to dryness, inflammation, itchiness, infection, and it gives her face a noticeably red complexion, which is also a very shiny complexion because she has to constantly apply paraffin to her skin to alleviate the pain and discomfort. So when you look at Carly, her face is very red, red, red and shiny. And it, it looks like a complexion you've never seen before. And Carly's lived her whole life like this. Carly reached out to me via email as you can, send Osher email at gmail.com. I read them all. And Carly and I organised a time to chat when I was last in Melbourne. Now, you can follow Carly on Twitter and uh, have a listen to this because there's a lot in this. There's a lot in this show. 
And a lot that I was certainly unaware of as far as my own able-bodied privilege and how that has shaped my view of the world. Um, I talked a bit about this when I introed uh, Quentin's podcast uh, about a year or so ago, two years ago now, that um, I didn't realise how, I guess the word is ableist, that I had been, I mean... Yeah. I'm never going to get it 100% right. I'm still learning and I'm always grateful to be pulled up when I say the wrong thing. And Carly, and when you listen to this, Carly certainly pulled me up once or twice, which I'm quite grateful for. But uh, I certainly hope you enjoy this show. We uh, recorded it. Um, it wasn't the Olsen. It was the other one. It was really good. The Blackman, the Blackman Hotel in Melbourne on St Kilda Road. Well, it's about three weeks ago now. This is me having a chat with the lovely and the beautiful Carly Findlay. <laughs> I'm rolling now. Hello, Carly. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you. How are you today? Mm, I'm all right. Yeah? Yeah, not so great, but I'm all right. I'm we're, really happy to be here. We're in Melbourne. We're yeah. in, a, in a hotel room <laughs> and uh, it's... I've. Look, if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, there's a whole episode about how hot people like the room. I I'm love a, the room hot. I'm a 24 degrees man. I'm a 30 degrees girl. Really? Yeah. My All husband right. hates it. I mean, he puts up with it, but he's like, oh, can we just turn the heater down? I thought you'd never ask. So you're sitting here, you've got your jacket across your lap. Yeah. And you've got, you've got a blankie you're wrapped around I you. I know. You're such a good host. I'm Thank trying you. To, I'm trying, <laughs> trying to be. Well, I'm, I'm grateful we can be here. Is this is Melbourne home for you? Melbourne's home for me now. Yeah. You it wasn't always home. No, I didn't. Where'd you grow up? I uh, grew up in Albury or near Albury in a little town, two little towns called Walla Walla first. Walla Walla has about... 500 people yeah. and then when I was about 15 I moved to a little littler town called Girodgery West which my parents still live at and that has about 200 people 200 people and then I moved to Melbourne nearly 14 years ago how old were you when you made the move uh 21 okay so <laughs> what's it like growing up in a town of 200 people <laughs> had to get out of there. Yeah. It was so, I was so, um, for me, it was pretty small-minded, like looking different, um, having a multicultural family, it was pretty small-minded. I went to school in Aubrey, to high school in Aubrey. Again, that was pretty small-minded. Um, yeah, but I just had to, like, it just wasn't for me. No yeah. bands came. But you came to Aubrey, do you remember? You came to Aubrey with the Channel V bus. And, yeah, we did. And I went to see Lash. And you were there with um, Super Mercado. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was one of the first tours we did when Super yeah. was still with us. That would have been like 2001. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so, yeah. yeah. It was a long mm. time. I had this really ridiculous hat, blonde hair. <laughs> it was weird. I think you'd cut your hair by then. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I had. Mm. So multicultural family. Yeah. What's my, going on? My mum is from South Africa, so she's a coloured South African. And my dad is from England. Right. He's a white Englishman. So they had to come to Australia to get married because yeah. they couldn't in the 80s. Yeah, wow. So, so you, your mum managed to get out okay? Yeah, both of them came together in 1981. I think my dad just said, oh, we're getting married, we're going to Australia. Right. Mum had no, <laughs> you know, like no choice, I guess, if she had to get, if she wanted to get married, she yeah. had to come to Australia. Yeah. So but, um, there's a... a TV host by the name of Trevor Noah, who hosts the Daily yeah, Show, yeah, tells, I've a, seen him. tells a wild story about his mum and dad um, basically operating in a clandestine 
um, yep. relationship yep, because that, it was just illegal for them to be That's what it was like for my parents. And mum um, and dad told me that they um, – so they were in Cape Town when they met. I, I think they met at a party. And um, one day my, my, my dad used to live over um, some rocks in Cape Town, like over the, the sea, and there was a police – a policeman come to the house, come to the flat, and mum had to hide on the balcony and the only way down was, you know, over the rocks. Um, someone had hit his car and that's why they were there. They weren't there to get uh-huh. to get her, but if they had seen her, then she would have been jailed. Isn't that mind-blowing that <laughs> in, in our lifetimes there's people that we know, people yeah. that you know intimately. Mm, exactly. Who are dictated to by the state who they couldn't couldn't be with i can't fathom it and you know now you know my parents are in their 60s and they haven't always been i guess as progressive as they are now or certainly i've not seen it but now mum's all for same-sex marriage rights and you know refugee rights and that it's really great to see because i guess you know they've experienced that firsthand and i say you know that the song original sin by in excess was written written for them oh right (laughs) because you know dream on Black girl, dream on white boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so when uh, you, you and I have, have known each other over Twitter, yeah. we started talking over Twitter. Because and, of your uh, podcast. And you listen to the podcast. I'm so grateful you can be Since on it episode today. one. Episode thank one. Thank you. I probably haven't listened to every single one, but I've listened to a fair few. Oh, that, So thank that, you. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm so that's, excited. I'm oh. such a fangirl. And can I just say, like, I used to watch Channel V when I was young, right. when I was you know, what, 15, 16. My dad got, um, when, when it was red then, yeah, back, wow. back when it was red, he got it for the British soccer. Mm-hmm. So it would often just be having a compromise if I could watch Channel V if the soccer wasn't on. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I'd watch it in between uni yeah, and, uh, you know, like uni and work and I'd, I'd love it. And I, I, you know, grew up on that and it was so good. We started uh, conversing yeah. over Twitter and you wanted to come on the show and you yeah. said, I want to talk about um, people who... I guess the word is people who look different. Yeah, appearance diversity. P- appearance diversity. Mm-hmm. So this is, as a podcast, people may or might not have seen the art- artwork at this point, but uh, how would you describe your appearance? I'm red. People tell me I look sunburnt. Um, I just, yeah, just red. Um, probably walk a bit um, stiff because I'm sore. Yeah. And, and why are you red and why are you sore? I have a skin condition called ichthyosis. I was born with it. Um, there's no cure. I'm okay with that. I'm not looking for a cure. Um, and it's a genetic condition. So my parents who, you know, came from South Africa and England had no idea who they were, who each other were before they met. And then they had this gene, which they didn't know they had until I was born. And here I am. And what, what, what does ichthyosis do? Oh, it's just, it's a bit shit really sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, my form of ichthyosis is on the severe end. So there's 24 types and I have um, a type called Netherton syndrome and it's on the severe scale. So the most severe scale is harlequin ichthyosis, which can be fatal and mine can be too. Wow. Um, so mine means that um, I'm red and scaly on all over. My face is the reddest because it's exposed to the elements, mm. um, but it's certainly not the sorest part of my body at the moment. I'm really sore on my legs and my arms and... Um, and it means that my body, so your body would shed um, skin once every 28 days. So my body sheds that skin in one day. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it's just working over time and, you know, like I'm constantly, my body's constantly doing things to 
keep up with the skin. Um, and there's, I, I don't really know the, techni- the technical terms for it, but there's a protein missing and that means that my hair is also affected. So I've got a lot of hair for someone with ichthyosis, but a lot of people don't have hair. Yeah. Um, one good thing, I don't have any body hair, which is great. Saves me money. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's not bad. Like I'm not dying with it, but at the moment I'm a little bit miserable because I've just had four weeks of amazing skin because I was overseas and I've come back to feeling really sore and miserable and thinking I could do it all like back at the day job and back at freelancing and I've just curled up in a heap. What happened over the four weeks that it was amazing? Oh, I was on my honeymoon. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was on my honeymoon. We were in Europe. The weather was great. Like, I mean, it was perfect weather. It was The humidity was a lot different. The dermatologist was telling me yesterday that the Melbourne humidity has decreased a lot now. So um, a lot of people with eczema have flared up. Mm. So, you know, my skin's quite similar to eczema, though a lot worse. Um, but I think it was just relaxed. You know, we were eating great food, yeah. you know, just seen great things yeah yeah and now i often after really fun events unfortunately this happens like after the wedding just i got sick so i've been i've been pretty sore this year but oh. but i'm okay does it leave you vulnerable to infection and things like yeah, that? yeah absolutely so um might have to use uh, like a mixture of liquid paraffin soft white paraffin to keep a barrier you know moisture barrier but that but if i don't then i get cracks and it will leave me open to infection it'll lead me um I, you know, I can't move my arms properly, my legs properly, if I get too dry. Um, we have to be really careful around people who haven't been immunised, have to, like cold sores and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it can be hard. A friend of mine was really sick recently and, uh, you know, she's my best friend and I was really sick recently and I, I don't think we've seen each other for about three months because wow. we were just too sick to see each other oh. just in case we accidentally pass something on to each other. Yeah. Yeah. How would people who have... Uh, let's just say normal skin, mm-hmm. how could they possibly relate to what it feels like? I don't know because I don't, I don't know what it's like to have normal skin. Okay. But I can, I can feel my skin like I'm aware of it all the time. Like yeah. I, so, sometimes I said to, say to my husband, like, are you aware of your skin? Okay. No, he, he's not. Um, so until, basically the idea is like until I tell people who are listening, you can feel the clothes on your back right now mm. or you can feel your legs and your trousers. Oh, my legs are thub- thumping right now, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. they're not – your brain can kind of switch it off but you've got the – would it be at all like – like for example, when I came off my bicycle last mm-hmm. year, um, I had new skin pretty much from my wrist to my um, upper arm. It was just – it was all – just mincemeat, yep. and the entire first layer was gone off. Yep. I had to have it dressed for about a week, but yep. then once it stopped weeping, mm-hmm. um, it was like bright pink and yeah. really, really, really sensitive. Yeah, Would that yeah. Be- yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of the time, maybe maybe twice a year, my skin goes through this whole shed, and sorry, this is a bit gross, right. but it goes through a whole shed, and I think it's starting now. You can sort of see on, yeah. on my fingers. But um, then I don't have that top hard layer and so to touch things is really hard you know i can't open things when i want to cook or can't touch a hot cup or Mm. um yeah so that and and it happens on my feet as well so that's really hard to walk on so So. how were your parents like as you're a kid you think Mm. your reality is the same as everyone's reality did you at what point did you realize that you were different from other kids (sighs) maybe when i went to daycare like i remember going to preschool and like the kids still tease me but they kind of move past that but having one day I think I had to go to daycare when I wasn't able to go to preschool or something and I remember kids just like pinching and punching me and stuff so I remember that that might have been when I was three but I don't know it was odd I never 
like I knew I was different, but back then I never identified with having a disability or illness. Like this is just what it was, you know. Like I would get sick, I'd go into hospital, I'd, but this is just how it was. So yeah. Mm. But as you as you grow up, kids, as a general rule, kids are pretty horrible. Mm. Uh, and yeah. Pretty afraid of anything that doesn't look like them, and mm. mask that fear with aggression sometimes. Yeah. Uh, that would have been wild because your par- parents would have had to brief each teacher. Going, yeah. Oh, by the way, this is Carly. She can't do this. She can't mm, do that. Don't mm. let other kids do this and that to her. Yeah, I think my parents were very, um, very, very protective. And I remember, you know, sometimes if we'd see kids in the street that had um, teased me, you know, they'd say, "Don't you ever do this to my my child again," sort of thing. And then my parents then would probably get a call from their parents to say, "Don't you speak to my kid like that," you know. It was it was really hard. It was a small town and, like I said, um, it was pretty lonely being a kid. And also that, like, the lack of friends and the, the teasing didn't really give me a good opportunity to be a good friend myself. Yeah. So I didn't know what it was like to have that kind of reciprocal friendship. Yeah, because mm. especially and you're, what, you were in Albury at the time. Yeah, near Albury, yeah, which is a, Walla Walla, a Walla, the 500 Walla. town. Right. Okay, mm. so your parents are walking down the street mm. and you come home from school and you're in tears and they say, why? So, oh, you know, Bruce teased me. And they're walking down to the Lowe's mm. or whatever, or the big W, and they see Bruce. Is that the kid? Yes, that's the kid. And then two grown people take mm. a <laughs> like a ten year old or eleven year old to task. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, it's pretty I scary if you're ten or eleven to have exactly. And I don't think it was threatening. Come. But I just think that I don't know. Like I don't. I don't know whether children realise the impacts. Yeah. Of their words, and um, you yeah. know, like a, a lot of people say to me, "Oh, you know, kids have to learn or whatever," but it, that still sticks with me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, it it would. It, mm. it would. It did. And what happened when you went to high school? You went to high school in the same town? No, I went to high school in Albury. Uh huh. Mm, I remember so- my parents saying it would get better. Um, I don't think it did. Like I still felt alone and a bit, yeah, a bit lonely. I spent a lot of time in the library. Yeah. Um, when the internet came, like that was amazing. You know, when I was fourteen or fifteen, the internet came, and I remember my library teacher said, "Oh, you might want to look up some stuff about ichthyosis on the internet. Like you can connect with people." And then um, I did, and, and but then I also used to spend a lot of time looking up Savage Garden because yeah. I'm such a Darren Hayes fan. Yeah. And, um, and that, that was amazing, like just the connection that I could have with people around the world. I didn't have to tell them what I looked like or, um, yeah, it was it, So you're it, sitting it there in the library and what, you're doing like an IRC chat? Or you're yeah, doing I think a- it was IRC or ICQ. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then, of course, we got the internet at home and... Yeah, and it, you know, and I would spend a lot just, of time. So necessarily connecting with other people who have the same condition, or just some other of them. People? Yeah, uh, then maybe not so. Now definitely, like you know, yeah. like that's part of my my career, I guess. But um, but then yeah, I met a few people, but more so just connecting with random people, and I never had to tell them. I could choose how much I wanted to tell them about my appearance and yeah. my skin. So I remember taking the day off. This is so embarrassing, but taking the day off to, when um. Savage Gardens, I Knew I Loved You was released when I was in year 12, I think, in 1999. And um, I took the day off then to listen to it on the radio because it was, you know, that when, yeah. when that was simulcast at one time. So yeah. the song was going to be released at 11 on every radio station or whatever. So I took the day off to listen to that. And, um, and then that day I think I met a boy on ICQ and we were chatting and we had a bit of a real-life relationship even. So Wow. Mm. What was the experience like? Um, being able to connect with people online mm. without having to disclose 
so much about who your condition or, or, yeah. or what you look like. What was it like for the first time to be connected with without that judgment? Yeah, it was it was better, I thought. You know, like I, I could be me. Um, and, you know, I the internet's so much a part of my life now. I wouldn't be where I am career-wise or um, self-love-wise even, mm. you know, without it. So it was great. But it took a long time to, for me to um, be able to put my photo up on my profile or up on the internet. And um, I can talk about this now if you want. But I was always worried that my photo would be misused. And when I was doing my... Um, and I've been blogging for years, I, I never, but I never put my photo up. I don't even think I mentioned my, my condition or my name. And then when I was midway through my Masters of Communication, I thought, I've got to start um, a portfolio of work. And that's why I started this current blog. And I, you know, I was really upfront with who I was and what my condition was. And, um, you know, and, and then I've been putting my photo up on the internet for years, you know, since MySpace Mm. Um, days, you know, back in 2006 maybe. And my photo in 2013 was misused uh, as I feared it would be. Mm. You know, back then, my reason for not putting my photo up, it it had come true. Um, I woke up to about 500 comments on Reddit. Um, I actually woke up to a lot of different, um, a lot of traffic to my blog rather. And then I clicked over to Reddit. There was 500 comments on the what the fuck forum, just like ridiculing me. And, um, yeah, it was it was a weird feeling. Like I didn't really think of, I didn't really, I didn't. It didn't really like hit me or make me cry or anything like that. It wasn't like it didn't devastate me. I wasn't in tears, but I wrote about it on Facebook, and then I took that that I wrote on Facebook and I mod- modified it and I responded to those Reddit people like just posted straight in the forum like yeah this is me this is who I am and I have ichthyosis and this is what it means. That directed them back to my blog, and I said you know while you were making fun of a stranger on the internet. I was out the night before seeing my most favourite band ever mm. and I'm now, you know, like spent the night with my boyfriend and you were making fun of a stranger on the internet. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that changed the conversation around um, like a whole lot. So then um, people were like, wow, thanks. Thanks for explaining. We've learned something. I wrote about it on my blog that night after work. And the next morning, I got tweets from CNN to say, can we tell your story? I'm like, what? This is crazy. So it went viral. Um, the next day at work, I, you know, I, I was really mindful to keep my work. Back then, I was a public servant. So mindful to keep my work and my writing life separate. But I was getting calls from the Daily Mail, Mamma Mia, News Limited to have my story told. And I wrote a few pieces for those places. Um, and then I think by the that night, my, I had like 80,000 hits on my blog wow. and I'd get that in a month. So it was, you know, a huge amount of attention. And my friend texted me going, Charlie Pickering's talking about you on the project tonight. Like, <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> I'd met him a couple of months prior. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, and so I managed to turn that conversation around, which was amazing. Yeah. You mm. talked about talked about self-love. Yeah. Everybody listening yeah. has looked in the mirror probably in the last 24 hours and gone, I can't stand this about my body. Mm. What have you learned about self-love? Oh, that you just got to love yourself. You just got to not not worry about how society tells you how to look. And I think um, I was thinking about it a while, like a few years ago and so many people assume that I wouldn't be confident with how I look or or even to the point where that I might make them uncomfortable, like to be to the point of not being in selfies with people because 
they're a bit worried about what their followers might think, you know, that kind of superficial bullshit. And, um, but, you know, one of the things that I really believe is you've got to look the world in the eye when they're not comfortable looking you in the eye. So, you know, if people are staring at me down the street and quickly look away, I'll look at them. I'll go, hey, how you going? Or, you right? Give them an up nod. And that really makes them feel uncomfortable. My husband probably notices it more than me. Yeah, like <laughs> the other day we were in a shopping centre and there was a group of people, tourists, and they were um, like, this is in Melbourne, not overseas, but we, and they took their glasses off to have a look. <laughs> and so he just stands there like, you know, like looking at them back. And I just couldn't stop laughing that they had just made such a point to stare. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't notice it much when we were overseas. And um, I said to him, I haven't really noticed. Like I got a couple of comments, but maybe three. People are pretty polite, especially in England. I didn't know the language in the other countries, so can't really deal with them that way. But um, Adam's like, oh, yeah, I've noticed. I've noticed the stares. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't notice. It just goes over my head. Was it, was there a point in your life when there was anger about... Mm. Yeah, just I just wanted to look like everyone else or to be like everyone else. But you know, I used to, I used to wear my mum's makeup and stuff. You know, practice with that, and I just thought, like thinking back to it, why? Like I'm not, I'm really okay with how I am now. Why would I want to change myself? Because that only made my skin worse. You know, dabbling in that. Um, yeah, I think maybe when I was about fifteen, sixteen, a lot of my hair fell out, and I was very self conscious about that. But, yeah. But um, I don't. I don't remember when the turning point was. Like I just, I just thought I've got to just get on with it and have a really great life and and just be really comfortable with who I am, or else it's going to drag me down. Must have been. I mean, I, I I'm trying to find something I can relate, but everything I search for, <laughs> it just pales in significance. Yeah. Um, but I don't want pity. Like it's so, no, no, no. You I'm know, just trying to find an em- a point of empathy, yeah, a point yeah. of interest to. To empathy. Yeah. But it, I, it's it's hard. Like I just – I don't know when it when it just came. But I – actually, I think – I think when I stopped reading women's magazines, you know, like there was this – I just used to buy Cosmo and Cleo every month and it was all about how to get a boyfriend, how to keep that boyfriend, how you should look, what makeup you should wear. There was nothing that represented me in there. And, and back then I didn't even think that that deep to think that there should be representation of people that look like me, but now definitely I do. Um, but, you know, from when I was 18 to about 23, I just buy that and I, I would not see anyone in there that looked like me. I would not relate to anything in there because there was all this talk of people having high-flying careers and, um, you know, and, and I have, have a career, but it's certainly I'm not a CEO. There were people that were tall and thin and, and a lot of long hair. There was no one with short hair, you know, featured in those magazines. Certainly no one with a disability. And mm. one day you just thought, well, I feel bad every time I pick this up. Yeah, like why do I need someone telling me how I should be? And then I think with blogging, I'm like, you know what, I can make my own media and I can put myself out there and change that mediascape. And not only me has done it, but, you know, since I've been blogging, I've found so many other people similar, not only with my condition but with lots of disabilities and facial differences who are doing that. And it's great. We can do it. We can do it on social media. The street I live in, and you talk about appearance diversity. Yeah. And as so, I'm, I'm on a show that has a, a broad target on its back mm. um, 
when it comes to diversity, and I'm very aware of it. Mm. And I, I, I like to make light of it, to be honest. I don't know whether you saw, but I put out a tweet and I'm like, I'm longing for the day because I gave The Bachelor about three episodes, sorry. That's but, okay. Uh, but I, I said, I'm longing for the day when I see a disabled woman, a woman of colour, a woman wearing trousers yeah. and a woman with short hair. Like, I just, I just want that. Yeah. Oh, look, <laughs> I, you know, I, where I live in Brisbane, yeah. I live in, uh, with my brother and, and sister-in-law and we live in a part of the city where it is much more of a, uh, let's just say, um, the housing market is more accessible mm-hmm. to most people there. That's how I'll put the socioeconomic <laughs> area. But in our cul-de-sac in the afternoons, we'll, I'll see six kids out on the street on their bikes playing footy, throwing mm-hmm. things around, whatever. There's one white kid. All right, yeah. everyone's every for every every form, yeah. different color, Islander, yeah. Asian, you name it, everyone's there. Yeah. And then I turn on the TV, and all I see is white people. Mm-hmm. And I made this comment to my brothers, like I've got to get the casting directors of these shows out to these suburbs because yeah. how would you be? I'm I'm so aware of it now that I'm a stepdad. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And I look on TV and mm-hmm. I see what is what is Gigi seeing? Right? How can these these kids look at the telly? which is the main media that any, any household consumes, mm. how can these kids look at the telly and think about what the world holds for them when I don't see anyone that looks like them? Exactly. And I don't see anybody that even resembles them. But the, I, I think that there, there needs to be the media done in the right way yeah. because there are people on TV that look like me, but it's done in a real awful way, embarrassing bodies, medical, medical incredible, uh. body bizarre. So it has to be kind of incidental casting, not not exploitative shows. You know, I can't tell you the amount of times a month I get emails from casting directors saying, hey, can you be on my show? It's about embarrassing bodies or it's, you know, and, and it's terrible. I've got a pro forma email I send them back now with all these questions saying, is it inspiration porn? Are you going to pay me? How do you talk about my condition? Um, what other people have you, have you had? And they honestly don't know what to say when I send them they back. They don't respond back? Some of them do. Yeah. Um, I had a really awkward... So uh, someone in America contacted me through Instagram and he was quite persistent. He contacted me through Instagram and then my blog and he wanted to do this show in America that he hadn't... He was pitching and... Yeah. Anyway, and we had a Skype interview and I'm spending the whole time talking to him about how I don't want pity and that, you know, we, we can't just be these pinnacles of inspiration for people just for getting out, out of bed and I'm talking to him about social model of disability and I think it all went over his head. He said to me at the end of the interview, um, is there anything else you want to say to me? And I said, oh. so it was about two weeks after I got married and I said, oh, I just got married, that was pretty exciting and I was wanting to talk about how I didn't expect that and, you know, it's a really great, great thing and while I don't think marriage is the... Um, my biggest achievement in life, it certainly can be for people that have been told you'll never amount to, mm. to love, you know, or to being loved. Anyway, so he says, oh, yeah, so that's what I was going to ask you. I said, what? And, and I thought maybe he's going to ask me about the dress or what's it been like being married. He said, what does intercourse feel like? And I said, what? <laughs> and he's, oh, well, I'm only doing my job. Oh. And I'm like, have you been sitting here wondering how a disabled person has sex? Uh, and I didn't because I hadn't like I didn't know what show he was from or yeah. I, I had no recourse to to tell him off and I just said no that's it and I just ready to pop the question. 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Shut down the... Yeah. The st- wow. I, and I, I just... There, there's this kind of feeling that the, the media and the, the public has the right to intrude you know, mm. and I get questions all the time, you know, like, why Why do you look like that? Like yesterday at the hospital cafe, the woman's like, oh, what happened? And I said, nothing, you don't need to know. And she says, oh, but my cousin has this. I said, you really don't need to ask me. And then I just walked off. And then I ranted about her on Facebook and sent a complaint to the hospital. But, you know. Was she a staff member? Yeah. Uh. You know, I, and I just, but when when the media does that and when the media focuses on these kind of um, voyeuristic, mm. um, grotesque, you know, for for public, I don't know, consumption or viewing or ridicule. And not only do you have the TV show that's being exploitative, but now you have the online discussion. And every time my condition's featured on Embarrassing Bodies, I'll get texts, hey, Ichthyosis is featured on here. I'm I'm not watching it. And then I'll look at the text feed. Oh, my God, that's disgusting. How can these people live? They should be dead. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that written about me. And I certainly don't want new parents or young kids or teenagers who have no self-esteem because of this condition to read those things said about them, you know. And so there is a danger. So back to your casting thing, yeah. there has to be this incidental casting. Like yeah. a friend of mine's just joined Neighbours and, and she's in a wheelchair and I don't, I'm not sure what her character's going to be but this is a real pinnacle moment that we haven't got someone creeping up to play a character. We've got someone actually in a wheelchair. Is that a, is that a turn of phrase? Yeah, I think Stella Young, you know, <sighs> says it. Up. But, you know, like, like blackface, it's like yeah. that. It's where someone plays... The disability when they haven't got a disability. It's like it's the Tropic Thunder line. You never exactly. go full retard. Yeah, don't say that word. Yeah, <laughs> I'm quoting Robert Downey Jr. I know, but yeah, I I actually told someone off on my on my Facebook last night for discussing something about racism, which was great. Like that yeah. everyone was getting really riled up about racism, but then they used a ableist slur, and I said you can't counter discrimination with more discrimination. Yeah. So yeah, there's a well <laughs> cripping up. There's a. a a mate of mine, Quentin, mm-hmm. is, uh, a, a, yeah, I know Quentin. Yeah, Quentin yep. has um, osteogenesis imperfecta, which yep. basically brittle bone disease. Mm-hmm. I think he's in the six hundreds of how many times he's broken mm. bones. But he's like, I'll tell you what, mate, I'm not going to go to any of these fucking castings. I've only one as a fucking cripo. <laughs> exactly, because I think that's what they that's what they want. They don't just want this incidental. Yeah. The the disability is an incidental yeah. thing. They yeah. yeah. It, and, you know, I was I was watching The Wrong Girl. I've just caught up on The Wrong Girl, oh. which is um, I really love it. Like I'm really Very lo- well loving the show. It's Very fantastic. Well yeah. And there's the guy in the wheelchair. And then I was thinking, um, you know, it's great that there's a, there's a character in the wheelchair. But, again, 
we're getting a very tragic disability is a tragedy story uh-huh. where um you know he he is a bit mollycoddled by his parents and yeah. and he wants that independence but then i'm thinking well we probably should be showing that as well so well, I probably person my, my disability politics would probably say I don't want another disability as a tragedy story. I think that it's really great that the public are seeing this in prime time. Um, you know, this kind of um, story about the the guy that has fallen because of his disability. He's he's got um, he used to be a doctor and now he can't get a job because people look at him and have that low expectation, and that's the reality for many people with disability. So what do you would like, you use a few words there which folks may not um, be familiar with. Ableist yeah. Yeah. Uh, is one of them. Can we talk about an ableist slur? Can we talk about yeah, that? Yeah, okay. So, you know, it's, it's like a homophobic slur or a racist slur, but uh-huh. it's, it's, against, you know, it's against people with disabilities. It's like using the R word, using the M word. Uh-huh. Um, even t- to the point where saying, you know, I don't see your disability, that's pretty ableist too. You know, like it's very colourblind, you know, when people say I don't see your colour, but when colour is an inherent part of your disability, your your identity, yeah. you want people to see your colour. Like I don't want people, a lot of people say to me, oh, but you're not disabled like them or, um, you know, I don't see your disability. And I'm like, yeah, but but I am and I'm okay with that. Yeah. So how do, how can people... Because we start getting into this this, this world of being you know, just everyday language becomes mm. a minefield and yeah, absolutely. the That's folks who it? may not know otherwise yeah. can say offensive mm. things. What would you like uh, people to keep in mind, I guess? Just that, well, the R word is really problematic uh-huh. and people, a lot of time when I tell people about the R word and, and its its origins and why it's offensive, people say, but language has evolved. Mm. And I say, but it, it is also used to... Um, Oh, I can't think of the word now, like demoralise mm-hmm. and to, um, you know, put down people with intellectual disabilities. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot a lot of the reason why it's used. Um, a friend of mine, Jared, did a, a great piece. I'm in a performance troupe called Quippings. And one of the things that he did um, at Quip, it's Quippings, not Quippings. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty <laughs> but deaf. I, but I, I think thought that's what you said. I'm glad no, you clarified I, it. I, and also, I guess, with the ownership of the word, like, um, mm. you know, a lot of black people own the N word and mm. a lot of... Um, gay and lesbian people own dyke and, mm-hmm. and other words. And people with disabilities, they own crip. I don't personally use crip to describe me because I don't feel like I need to. Yeah. But I might in my own in my own community. But, yes, yeah, so Jared you, um, did this great piece um, on um, how the R word has impacted on him and, and to the point where, um, you know, he he feels that it's violence towards him and, and he's, he's taken it. Like the, the use of the word is very... Um, is, is very problematic and there's been times where he's had really hard times in his life and people have like, oh, you know, look at you over there, you are, mm. you know, and, and that's really hard because if you're faced with that your whole life, it, it just chips away at you and, you know, it can break you. These words are damaging. <laughs> what, um, what, do, what do you think it is when you started... Your interactions with society. Yep. Okay. It was a, a, a pre-internet time. Mm. And so you were constantly being faced with uh, people judging you instantly from the way you looked before mm-hmm. they even got to know you as a human. Yep. And yet here you are online and you're mm. able to present yourself as a human. Yeah. Um, did you find that there were two kind of personas that started to 
grow up in you? Like there was the one that this is, this is who I am when I'm in public, when people can see me, and this is who I am when I'm able to just be. Yeah. Sometimes I feel I have to, you know, I have to watch what I say. Not that I'm even over, you know, racist or ableist or whatever, but, you know, sometimes words like stupid or um, sil- oh, I can't even think of another word, but, you know, I might, maybe I will say stupid in in person with a friend like, you know, like you or, or with other people. And then, but online, if I said it, I might be pulled up. Mm. So I, I don't in any way curate my life like an Instagram model. That's, mm. that's not me. Um, but I am very aware and I think the internet and my, my blogging and, and social media has made me more vocal. Mm. Um, I'm certainly definitely more assertive than I've ever been yeah. um, be- and in public and in real life as well. Um, I mean, in public and online mm. as well, yeah, which is all real life really, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, you yeah, know, I just, yeah, there, there is that. But I think the more I write, and I've been writing about some really big issues this year, not only about my own but around big disability issues. I've written two articles on murder and one around child growth attenuation. And uh, so they've been really hard for me to write about, to research and also to receive the comments about because they, like I said to my husband last week, I've written a really provocative article which I put a lot of care into and right now I'm getting blasted in the comments section on Fairfax. Can you just take my iPad away from me for a minute? <laughs> because it's it's hard, you know, yeah. and living disability and writing it, it's... It's huge. I don't know how people like Clem Ford and Celeste Little do it. Like, I just, it, it's, it's hard. You know, I, I was in hospital this year. I've been really sick. And um, I, I wrote an article on the people in Japan in a Japanese disability home who were murdered. So there were 26 people murdered by a worker there. And 40, uh, I think 40 other people were um, injured. So the man went on a rampage. He didn't believe disabled people should be alive. And he had previously written to the government to warn them that that he was going to do this. And they hospitalised him for two weeks and then he was released. And then he did this in July. So I wrote about why no one was talking about this. Because Nice, uh, no... Paris, the Paris terrorist attacks had just happened. I yeah. think maybe the Nice ones had just happened when I wrote about that. Yeah. They might have happened the week before. Um, and Orlando had happened. And while all those events are huge and awful and tragic and people were in great mourning and showing their respects on social media, no one was talking about these mm. 26 people who had been killed in a disability Crikey, home. how do you do it? I don't know. No. I, I, well, I, I think I know, but I don't really want to. What, you know, injection? Was it a knife? No, it a he, he went around with a gun. Oh. I mean, with a knife, sorry, stabbed them in the beds. <sighs> so I wrote about that and I wrote about how, how when we read about this sort of stuff, we know how people feel about people with disabilities. You know, not yeah. all people, but how they want, some people want people with disabilities gone, you know. Um, and I wrote about why, why it was not much talked about online in the media. Yeah. So... That article went out the day that I was in hospital and it was shared 70-something thousand times from Fairfax's daily life. It was huge. Like that's been probably the biggest thing I'd written and I had to tell my editor to take my Twitter handle off because I was getting so many. I mean, it wasn't negative stuff I was getting, but I could not deal while being sick. I couldn't deal with this constant feed of comments and then... About two months or a month prior to that, I'd written the article on child growth attenuation where parents um, 
stunt their children's growth when they have a severe disability. There was an uh, episode on Dateline about that. So I had to write about that. And I was really scared about writing that because every time I write about children and parents, I get told that I'm not a parent and I don't know anything about children and parents. And uh, and I'm like, well, I was a child with a disability once. I've seen my parents, (laughs) you know. Um, And that... The night that I was in hospital, so I'd, I'd written this art, this first this article on the murders, and the night that I was in hospital, the first night, and I was really unwell, really in pain, and the guy next to me was snoring, and I just wanted to sleep. And then this email pops up from this parent who was angry at the article I'd written on child growth attenuation a month or so earlier, and they're like, "I challenge you to walk a day in my shoes," and blah blah blah, and you don't know a thing. And I'm, oh my god, I just. I just so that that wears me, I think. So, yeah. so you know, I do have to protect myself. And there's, you know, like last week, I just said I can't, I can't do any activism today because it's just too much. Yeah, yeah. But part of you surely has to realise that when you do put yourself out there, yeah, you are, you know, the, the higher you climb on the tree, the mm. windier it gets. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, there's, I mean. Is there a part of you that is able to see that anger as the fear that it really is? Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Like I see that a lot of people are, aren't comfortable with disability and, and they're not getting at me, they're getting at the issues that I'm writing about or it touches in them because they might see their own ableism or prejudice in themselves when they yeah. read it. Yeah. So uh, last year I wrote about parents oversharing their kids' disability online Um with having a skin condition, it's very visual and I see a lot of parents putting photos of, and it's all very well-meaning, but they put photos of their kids when they're at their most vulnerable, yeah. at their sickest, you know, wounds and nudity and I just think, wow, just take a step back and think, would you like that? Because You seem really entangled in the social media thing. Yeah. That can be kind of unhealthy it, sometimes. It is. Well, I think... It, I, I do know where to step back, but but I wrote this article and the backlash from that has been really like really huge because and I realise you know I've got to um, realise that you know like you said there's that online persona and, yeah. and real life persona and I have to and I have been really really mindful of that and, and you know make, making sure that I talk through with other people about about what I've written or even, you know, like um, after I'd written this article from um, last week, yeah. uh, uh, which was really heavy as well, um, I messaged my friends going, hey, an article's just going up. Can you keep an eye on it? Just, you know, keep, you just get, have my back while, yeah. <laughs> while I'm in, in the air because I was about to get on the plane. And right. So, yeah. But um, in terms of being entangled in social media, yeah, I, I, I guess so. But I still do, you know, I still have this real life you know, relationships and do things mm. in real life. But, yeah, I think... But I'm just, like, watching you and describing the last, mm. you know, 10 minutes or so, yeah. you, you've talked about how much the opinions of complete strangers mm. are affecting your emotional state. Mm-hmm. That's but, not... It's sometimes not very healthy. <laughs> I know. and But I think that the the, the, the the good things that happen far outweigh the bad things and I wouldn't do it if, if there wasn't positives, you know, um... I, the amount of people I've met, like the friendships I've made mm. in, in real life and online have been amazing through working as a writer online. Um, last year I hosted the first ichthyosis meet in Australia and that was because I brought together people who read my blog, people who are in online support groups and all these people came together at the Melbourne Zoo last year, you know, 75 of us. And that's never happened before. What was so that like? It was amazing. Like, it was what I needed as a kid. So... Yeah. Who was the youngest person? 
oh, about seven months. Oh, my goodness. So cute. And then, yeah, there were people my age as well. And there were people that never met anyone else with the condition and, like, some kids said it was the best day of their life. One little girl's like, I'm out for a boyfriend. <laughs> she was nine or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that, you know, I think that, yeah, that I spend a lot of time online and writing online and I feel like I have, I have an obligation to write about these issues but I also need, I also know when to step back and, yeah. and not, and, you know, certainly... I can have a laugh at it or whatever and I don't I don't receive the abuse as much as other people, which I'm thankful for, but sad that they do. That's the only way you can be. You know. That really is the only way you can be is yeah. to, when you look at, I find, you know, I'm not trying to tell you that I understand at all what it is you're going through or have gone through, mm. but when I see people who occasionally get reactive about the things that I write and say and I see how angry they are, oh, all I can imagine yeah. is, it must be horrible to wake up every day and be that yeah. mad at a yeah, complete stranger. Yeah. It I must be awful to have that feeling in your stomach all day long. Yeah. I So I, I wrote about um, some more tragic murders that happened last week in Sydney and, and uh, the, the children were disabled and I wrote about the oh, media. Oh, the Brazilian couple? Yeah. That was so horrible. Awful. So I wrote about the media coverage around that and how they were presenting disability as a burden when it probably was domestic violence. Um, and awful, and I didn't want to speculate or anything like that. And, yeah. Um, it was it was a hard thing to write, but and it got republished in um, in Fairfax. And the it, there was a man that tweeted me. I must have just stepped off the plane between Rome and um, I don't even know where I stopped. Bangkok. Yeah. And I I looked at my Twitter feed, and then he sent me this totally out the blue tweet, like protecting other men that had murdered women. And I just thought, is have you just got an alert on to yeah. like who even I are think you? They do, to be and you know, just th- that, and yeah. you know, like you said, to have that anger, that level of anger, must be really hard. Yeah, I believe so, I believe there is people who tro- <laughs> trolls online who who target me. They just must have certain keywords yeah, that they search for. It's I just, like, <laughs> who has the time for that? Yeah. But you know, and I really, I want to say my my life and my writing online is an all doom and gloom. I really do balance it with some yeah. with some great stuff. You know, I post. Okay. I don't only just post. Well, tell me, rats. tell me, <laughs> tell me more about tell me more about this meetup because it sounds to yeah. me like this is it's certainly an Australian first. Yeah. To have seventy something people. Yeah. So not all of them had ichthyosis. There but, was twenty five of them that had ichthyosis, and yeah. their families came as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you were at the Melbourne Zoo? Yeah. And people so, flew from around the country to and, be here? And New Zealand. And New Zealand? Yeah. So, so to, I, um, together must have been extraordinary. It was a huge amount of work to do. Um, so we knew that in the in our little Facebook group, in our Australian Ichthyosis Support Facebook group, we knew that we wanted to meet, but um, I don't think anyone wanted to step in and, and do, you know, do all of the work. And I just said, hey, I'll do it. I used to be an events planner at work, so I could do it. And I have the online influence, I guess, of getting brands who gave us stuff. So I emailed a whole heap of different brands and, like, Olympus gave us a camera. Wow. For uh, me, a camera and then a prize for someone there. And Mugu, the skincare company, gave us heaps of stuff and um, QV and Dermies and all these places like skin kind of care places gave mm. us all this stuff, which is great. Um, I did crowdfunding on GoFundMe. So we raised about, I know, $3,000 and I got a grant as well from the Awesome Foundation. So that paid for the rental of the room. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that, yeah, the, the room cost was the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I um, organised doctors from the Royal Children's and Royal Melbourne Hospital to come and talk a little bit about what the treatment options are and um 
then I was the one that interviewed those people. So that was pretty exciting to yeah. be like a patient and then be interviewing them. Yeah. As but a, to uh, give, I mean, you basically, sounds to me like you gave that little girl growing up in the small town what she never had yep. by giving those kids that you saw, those nine-year-old kids, that, hey, yeah, there's other people in the world. Because you must have felt like you were yep. the only Absolutely. person on earth. Yeah, I did. And it was so amazing to, you know, I've met, I met probably 100 people now with ichthyosis. Um, but to have all those people in one room, um, when, in the show notes maybe you can put up a photo of us. All yeah, there. Sure. Yeah, it was so good. Um, one of the people that I'd met um, through blogging, um, Robin runs a company called Tiny Superheroes and she makes um, superhero capes for sick kids. Mm. So she sent us all a superhero cape for each of the kids with ichthyosis, wow. which is great. Um, yeah, it was, it was so good. And a lot of those kids keep in touch now and I've seen them around the country when I've been to Sydney and Gold Coast and stuff. So, yeah. Um, and last month I got an award for the work that I did and um, the other beneficiary who uh, was allowed to receive an award was one of those that came to yeah. the event, Curie, and she's got ichthyosis as well. So you'll have another so one next year? Maybe. <laughs> I, I, I want someone else to take on yeah. the work because I think I was, I was planning my wedding at the same time. Oh, yeah, it, was, it was really busy yeah. and working a full-time job. So yeah. I would love to do another one, yeah. But, um, and, you know, as... As I've been, you know, continued blogging and putting myself online, so many other people have come out and said, hey, I've got ichthyosis too. And um, I said, oh, you should come to our next meet. Yeah. So I've kind of promised another meet. Yeah, but I haven't, it'll happen. Haven't said tell, it. Me about, yeah. tell me about what it is to go out into the workplace because we live in a country uh, yeah. which is lucky to have a lot of anti-discrimination uh, yeah. laws and, you know, you know, you can't refuse to hire someone because of a disability mm -hmm. and there's all sorts of, you know, uh, how shall I put it, uh, precursors to giving people time to go and do certain medical appointments and yep. stuff like that. Yep. When you started going into the workforce, what mm -hmm. was that like? So I used to work at, um, when I first started work, when I was at school, I worked at Kmart for um, four years. My mum and dad wanted me to get a job, but they didn't expect me to get one so quick when I was at school. So I did it in the last half of year 12. It was fantastic. It, learnt, it taught me how to deal with people in a professional way. You know, they'd ask me about my skin and I'd have to say I was born like this. That was my standard answer and that still is my standard answer. And then um, I would be um, able to say, if they were so rude, I would say, I don't want to be, I don't want to serve you and could pass them on to my colleague, which was good. Um, that was really empowering at that in that age, you know, wow, 18 or 19. Kid. Yeah. You're a kid. Yeah. You're not a very tall person. No. So there's this, this small <laughs> so girl. I had that power to say, you know, you've been really rude and I, I don't feel comfortable serving you. And I, that only happened a few times. Um, but that was that was amazing because I just met so many friends. I was treated in a, you know, a really professional way. And, yeah. you know, I've still got those friends today. So I, I worked there for four years and then I started working for um, the public service. So I've been been there for 13 years and only recently have I taken up another job to so I can do my own writing and speaking and um have I've got a now part-time job with a not-for-profit all right so you so left the public service I've taken a year's leave with that pay all right yeah so um yeah I mean it hasn't all been easy but in terms of very supportive atmosphere for me to be able to take medical appointments to go into hospital I could purchase extra leave so I wouldn't run out of sick leave uh -huh. um but there has been times where I feel that my appearance and also my um, passion for equality <laughs> and my vocalness about that has held me back. Right. Yeah. When you look at uh, mainstream 
culture. Mm-hmm. What do you want mainstream culture to know about why diversity is important, particularly appearance diversity? Yeah, that representation matters. I don't know whether you saw that um, little YouTube video a few months ago of that little girl who had a um, prosthetic leg and she opened a present from her mother, which was a doll with a prosthetic leg, and she was just crying happy tears for the whole video. And to see her represented must have meant so much. Like to see her represented in that kind of brand and product culture must have meant so much because she's never had a doll like hers before. Um, For me, as a kid, as someone that wanted that ichthyosis meat when I was little, not knowing that anyone else out there existed, I would have just loved to have seen someone else on the news or, or, you know, on TV that looked different, that had red skin or or even, you know, in a wheelchair or... um, with a different type of disability because that really does matter, but it matters how they're portrayed as well. What is it about humans that we feel better when we see that we're not the only person that mm. looks like we do? I think it's a relief and, um, you know, there's so there's so many people I will talk to with different types of diversity where we just get it, like we get the people that ask us silly questions or the intrusion and the intrusive questions or the discrimination we get it I think we don't feel it as alone a lot of people with ichthyosis look the same as well um, and that's a genetic trait so it's like we all look like one family I recently when I was overseas I met uh, four people with the condition and two of those looked exactly what like, like me. facial structure yeah wow yeah it was great it was just so we and we just you know we're talking like we'd known each other for years yeah. Fascinating. And we had, we've known each other online for years, but yeah. yeah, when we met in person. So our facial structure is very, very similar. And um, my geneticist who I interviewed for an article last year told me that it's uh, it's very common for people with ichthyosis to have the similar like high forehead and um, receding hairline and bone oh. structure. Yeah. It's like we're all one big family. Isn't that interesting that, you know, you talk about the Instagram uh, curated life, yeah. but I find there's so much... Uh, particularly when it comes to beauty standards mm-hmm. on, on Instagram, I find there's a lot of homogeny uh, in and but all these people going so out of their way yeah. to I want to look different. But they look the same. But yet, yet within ourselves, deep within ourselves is this desire to see someone that looks like us. Mm, yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Well, I really make a point of using hashtags on Instagram to make sure that brands see that I wear their clothes and that's not to get free clothes at all it's just to let them know that there's diverse people you know wearing their clothes Mm. but also for when people are scrolling through and they've got a condition themselves you know maybe chronic pain or ichthyosis to say oh there's someone like me and I get lots of people um, message me to say hey I just found your Instagram or just found your Facebook because I put myself out there and and I've had people in their 50s and 60s to say say to me that until they saw what I wrote they thought that they were the only one with this condition because there was no one out there when they were younger so, you know, and even to give parents hope that they, their children can lead an, a positive, fulfilled adult life. Yeah. You've obviously had an experience in your life where you've met probably hundreds, if not thousands of people who've met you and not known what to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's people listening right now mm-hmm. who, whether they meet someone who has one arm smaller than the other, who's missing an eyeball, who's got one leg in a wheelchair, da, da, da. Yeah. Only because just through their daily life, they just don't meet, you know, these kind of people every day. Mm. What do you wish people would say when they first meet someone that looks different? Hello. 
<laughs> because so many times people launch into what happened to you. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Can you have sex? Um, it's just really intrusive questions. So hello is a really great way to start. And then maybe how's your day going? And then maybe can I ask you or I hope you don't mind me asking you or tell me if I'm offending you. But And then maybe... Um, yeah. You know, what condition do you have? I don't mind if they ask me in a nice way and, uh, you know, I'm fairly happy to What's go into What's a nice way it. to ask? Hello. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it okay if I ask or, um, you know, I hope you don't mind me asking, um, but not launching straight into yeah. why do you look like that uh-huh. or, you know, oh, my God, like look at you or you look hideous or something like oh, that good. because those things have been People said to me. To yeah. Yeah, so, you know, hello, hello is a really good start because yeah. so many people just forget their manners, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and also to know that if we don't want to discuss why we look the way that we do, be okay with that. Like, don't be offended. Don't think, oh, you're so rude. Mm. Because chances are if you've asked me, five other people have asked me prior. Mm. Mm. I always think about that, like when... You don't really see it so much anymore because I'm old and no, medical technology has advanced a lot. But you used to just see way more amputees when I was a, a younger man. Mm-hmm. You're just everywhere, everywhere. And I was just to, you know, wonder, it's like, it's probably best not to ask mm-hmm. because what if it was like a horrifying car accident or something yeah. really bad? You know, so, we don't know the trauma that yeah, has exactly. gone on with this. And so I, I didn't really think about that until... Um, I met a friend and on Instagram actually who some some um, a blogger that I know posted a photo a selfie of me and her on Instagram she's got a lot of followers and one of her followers then said oh my gosh I've just like for the first time I've seen someone else that looks different and is proud of that and then she got in contact with me and she lost her eye through a domestic violence God lord um, and she told me she's told her story on my blog and she told me and I hadn't thought of this until she said that and now I'm really aware that every time someone asks she has to relive that trauma Mm. and she has to relive what her ex-partner did to her and I just you know I remind people of that that it's not you don't really need to know. Stella Young has this great quote, and I just quoted it yesterday, um, not at the woman that asked me in the hospital, but I put it on Facebook after. And, you know, she said, if you're just sitting next to me on the train or um, if you're serving me at a cafe, you really don't need to know how we got like this. Um, you know, I understand curiosity, but you don't. It's not going to, I don't know, it's not going to improve your life somehow or yeah. whatever. We, we do live in a kind of different time because when I hark back to the, I used to see heaps of amputees everywhere. Yeah. It just socially wasn't okay to ask strangers these sorts of things. No. But somehow along the way, it's become completely fine to demand an answer. Mm. And I think there's this balance of, um, you know, people might say, but I put myself out there on my blog and I'm happy to talk about my condition. But to an extent, like I, I want to control how I talk about it and who I give the answers to and mm. if I'm not in the mood I'm not in the mood I just want to do my shopping or I, you know <laughs> I just want to have a great time or whatever and I remember being at a concert um so I'm a real big fan of Bob Evans and um, I was at a concert like in the front row and this guy saw me he's like oh you've been sunburnt and I'm like no and like Kevin's just about to start and um and then this guy's just like asking me if I'm okay I'm like just shut up I just want to watch the show yeah. <laughs> you know there's that sort of thing and I just just want to get on with it sometimes yeah. but then other times I'm, I'm happy to talk about it and sometimes it's a good conversational point so uh, we're, we're coming around around to the uh around the, the third base I don't know baseball uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to find I think for us to, to talk about just towards the end here yeah you, you talked about self-love yeah how 
there's probably no one I'm going to meet that has found a path to self-love that's been more difficult than, than yours. So what, what do people need to know about self-love? What can you share about finding self-love? Mm, big questions, Osha. Uh-huh. I think that you've, just, you've got to get to a point where you're okay with saying this is who I am and if the world doesn't like it, I'm not going to change. Like, you know, I, I, it took me a long, a long time to just want to be me and, you know, I've had, I, I haven't had mental health struggles when, when I've been an adult but as a child I was nine and I didn't want to live anymore and my mum took me to a psychologist. I don't remember any of that but it certainly helped me. And thinking back that, you know, as a little girl that I didn't want to live anymore and, and then thinking back to that, not knowing the kind of life I would have had um, that I have now, which is amazing. And I, you know, I love every moment of it, even the online comments that I might get. <laughs> um, I just, I really probably would have told that little girl that there's going to be this great life out there and just to hang in there. And, and I'm glad that I did. Um, I think that don't listen to the way the media tells you how to look, even to the point social media, you know, we're talking about Instagram before and there's this kind of idea of perfection and Snapchat filters. I actually filter my Snapchats to look more red <laughs> because they make me look less red and then I don't really feel who, like I really am myself. So I'll yeah. increase the redness. Um, you know, and to really make accommodations in your life to make it a bit easier. For a long time I didn't identify with having a disability or chronic illness and probably had a lot of trouble just getting things to be a bit easier. And then once I started speaking up and saying, hey, can I have a blankie at the hotel, <laughs> you mm. know? And then it's it's easier, um, you know, doing that. Um, and also one thing I've really found is I'd never thought I'd get married. Like, I'd, But once I kind of stopped looking, and I know it's such a cliche, and once I just focused on my own career and finding friends and working on where I want to be, he just came. And then I'm like, I don't even have time for a boyfriend. I'm too busy. <laughs> and now we're married, you know. I think, yeah, so there's that. Yeah. I, don't, I just, yeah, don't let the world tell you how you should be. Just be yourself. And yeah. uh, we, <laughs> It's hard we, though. But we live in a society where we unburden ourselves of all these decisions by allowing society to make these decisions for us. Yeah. What shall I wear? I'll wear this because everyone's wearing this. Yeah. What shall I say or listen to? I'll say and listen to this because everyone's saying and listen to this. And it's easier to just follow than come up with a, my own concepts or my own identity. Mm. So you're asking people to, I guess, look outside what the general society is telling them through messaging that's on billboards and television and magazines and yep. Instagram. And, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I guess I'm just trying to make sense of what you're talking about here, that to, to see those messages as, some, as being dictated to and yeah. see that in those messages there is no free will or free yeah. choice. Is that too much yeah. to say? I also found that making my own media empowered me so much like through writing about myself and I, I don't write on my blog as much as I used to. Um, but through writing about the issues that I face through this discrimination and ableism and even, you know, lack of self-confidence, I really came to know myself and I came to know myself a lot more than if the media had written about me. And one of the things in listening to you on your podcast for all these years I've really admired is that you have taken control of your mental health story and so the media hasn't and I feel that that is so empowering and so positive and that's what I've wanted to do. I don't want... 
I don't want a shitty article in the Daily Mail about me and that's happened before. I want to be able to, to control that and to control the way this condition is portrayed. Yeah, and, yeah, I've found that and the if I can, because what I've found is that a lot of journalists are kind of lazy, <laughs> all right, and the amount of times that if I wanted to put a message out there, I just write a blog yep. on the bottom of an Instagram photo and it's copy and pasted and it becomes an article. <laughs> Yeah, what direct, is with that? It's a direct just, quote. It's, it's like putting out a press release. Card. Yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right. If you can control your story, but not everyone's going to yeah. be in the public eye, not everyone's going to be in social yeah. media, not everyone's going to get published in the Daily Mail. So, but within that small community that people may have mm-hmm. on their Facebook or within even they're living in their little small town, even in Walla Walla, mm. um, if you control your story, yeah. That gives you such a sense of power yeah. over other people telling you what your story is. Yeah, it's it sort of does. Like it's it's amazing. I, I I never would have thought that, um, you know, I could be published on a mainstream website, you know, mainstream news yeah. website, and have my own voice and be one of the representatives that are, you know that are telling our story and changing the way disability and appearance diversity is portrayed. And it's but just it's as a, a human though, yeah, it empowers you to just. I guess feel so far away from that little nine-year-old girl. Yeah, absolutely. I just I feel so so lucky to have had mum and dad intervene in that to be able to live this life now, and I really hope that like other little girls like me and little boys that have different conditions feel that there is a life beyond what they look like and what society's telling them to look like. You know, I read a lot of friends um, who post about their kids with the condition and they're, and they're saying that they're still encountering this discrimination and, and this kind of bullying and exclusion that, um, you know, I have and that all the people that came before me have. And I just think I'd, I hope this ends one day and I hope that they see the worth in themselves to rise up. Yeah. So good. Um, this has been great. Thank you so much <laughs> for coming you. to my hotel. Oh, no problem. It's great. It's unreal. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Um, thank you. Super grateful, Carly. Thank you so much. Thank for, you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I'm going to take your photo. Sure. Unreal. Thanks, Sasha. <laughs> that was Carly Findlay. Find her on Twitter. Follow her along. Show her support. Let her know that you heard her here, Carly Findlay, C-A-R-L-Y-F-I-N-D-L-A-Y. Thank you so much for listening. We're almost there, my friends. We're almost at the end of the year. Keep a cool head on your shoulders. Try and relax. Try and breathe. Try and remember with that meditation that the meditation is about teaching the puppy to sit. It's about teaching yourself to be okay with constantly asking for it to sit and being patient with asking it again and again and again. That's what it is. Remember to be relaxing. Remember, remember, remember to relax. Go out the front door for a walk and try and get some rest. It's only a few more weeks to go, my loves, and we're almost there. Thanks again for all your support on Patreon, patreon.com slash osher. Uh, little as five bucks a month will get you those exclusives. And, um, yeah, thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of the show. I'll talk to you next week. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. 